Did you know that God is sovereign over every single nation in the world? That's right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And in just a moment, five moments, we're going to talk about Proverbs 21. It's going to be a very interesting read. Also, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm jumping a little bit ahead and taking a look at King Hezekiah today. Ryan? All right, well, we read a lot in the Bible about the casting of lots, but the question is, by what method was this done? All right, now they're coming up in about 20 minutes' time, so make sure that you get ready for that. Also coming up in about 25 minutes' time is Janice. My segment today is called Into My Heart. All right, so get your Bible guide out. If you don't know how to get a Bible guide or you don't have one, don't worry, we'll tell you how to get one in just a moment. And let's open up and learn from the most important book of all, the Bible, what God is saying to us right now. Proverbs 21, 1 through 3. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Proverbs 21, 22, 23, and 24. That's what we read as we go through the Bible, as we study the Word of God, the 66 books by the 40 authors over 1,500 years, all with the same theme, that theme being Jesus Christ. You know, whatever a nation pays for with its tax money shows what's important to that nation. But we don't always have a say in those decisions, do we? As Christ followers or as Christians, we are simply called to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Luke chapter 20, 25. Now this means that although our true and final citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, and that everything we own belongs to God, we should not neglect our earthly responsibilities. Even if the government confiscates all my material wealth and my belongings. It can't take away my treasure stored up in heaven. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. But we're only not the, but we are not only the ones who store treasure in heaven. Keep that in mind. We are not our own. Christ has bought us with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. We are called to put our money where our mouth is and to glorify God through our earthly responsibilities as we wait to be redeemed from the earth by our Lord and our Savior, and that is Jesus the Christ. And we need to pay attention to that because this is very important. And we have this problem today where we're blaming ourselves for the government. But let me tell you something. The government is not the personal decisions that we make. We make personal decisions on voting, but we don't make personal decisions about our wealth and our resources with the government. The government just takes them. 
We need to keep that in mind. That's very, very important. And somebody will get excited about that and talk to me about taxes and all that, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about what God said. And that's important that we look at what the Lord said. So today, open up your Bible guide. And if you have one, that's great. But if you don't, you can write to us or you can call us and you can get one. We'll send it to you. In fact, you can get one within seconds. Go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the Bible guide there, and it'll take you to a donate page. And may I say, thank you for your donations. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. And I thank the people for all of their donations that keeps us alive here. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're talking about bought and redeemed. What does that mean? Well, means we're purchased and we're redeemed. If we believe we're Christians, let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us what this means. So Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would open up our hearts, help us not to take the ideas that we have and apply them to your word, but help us to understand that you've written this for us today, that you've chosen for us to be alive at this moment. And so as we witness everything going on around us, there's wars and there's everything going on, Help us, Lord, to understand that it is you who have put us here. And we need to understand what you're saying. Because, Lord, we're trying to make sense of this. And just our reaction doesn't make sense, but our contemplation with you does. If we listen to you. So help us to hear you today in Jesus' name. And all of us said together, amen and amen. Now, with that in mind, we have three short verses we're going to study here. Let's look at the first one. Proverbs chapter 21 Verse one, here's what it says. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. This is really something. God is sovereign over every king or government leader. Praying for those in leadership over us is very important. A lot of people misunderstand this verse. They say, well, if the king's heart is where the Lord wants it to go, then how come the king's doing this? Listen to me. Our politicians and our kings or whoever, heads of state, are people and they have choices. And we've elected them or they've elected themselves and put them in. Many of them don't recognize that it's God who's placed them there. God will let his will reign out in them. Now, if we pray for them, we will re be responsible for what the Lord said. Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter tells us, pray for the government. Not Okay, now keep in mind, I don't want to get in trouble with everybody because I, I need to tell you this. It's important to vote. We need to vote. It's more important for us to pray. That's the most important thing of all, to put prayer first over voting. Then we vote. Voting is doing, but praying is asking God for direction. We need to ask God for direction. Now, in a democracy, the big part of the democracy is what the people decide. Remember this, just because the majority rules does not mean the majority is right. Just because the majority rules does not mean the majority's right. Keep that in mind. That's why we have to pray all the time. 
Let's pray for our leaders. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. God speaks to us and speaks to our leaders and says, your ways may seem right to you. And you may have the votes for this, or you may have the ways to do that. It's common for some political leaders to manipulate public for their own ambition. But God knows the truth in every government around the world. He knows the truth. God knows everything. He knows the motivations. Now, we may not know, but God knows. We're not God. God knows the hearts of the leaders. That's why we need to pray. Lord Jesus, help him. Bring him to the Lord. Help him to know you. And there's a lot of people cursing men, but who's praying for them? God, to help them. God, to shake their life. God, to call them. Very important. I'll tell you, this is so important. I don't have time to talk about that, but I could. Anyway, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3 says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifices. Do you know what Isaiah said? Isaiah said, yes, it is. It is easy to manipulate tithes and offerings to gain favor, but God desires our obedience to him above what money we give. A lot of people think they can buy God off. You can't buy God off. They thought that in ancient Jerusalem. That's exactly what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter one. God says, come, let us reason together, Isaiah. I don't want all these offerings. I don't want all these festivals. What I want is obedience, justice between men, right teaching, right helping women, helping widows, helping orphans, helping the poor, righteousness, being right with God. That's what I want more than anything. So we need to keep that in mind because that's the most important thing of serving God. All of the other stuff comes later. Let's not get our priorities mixed up. Let's get our priorities right. And then God will straighten out everything as it comes down. I just want to say that the reason people give to this ministry is not because I promised that they'll get something in return. God will handle that. But they give because they love the Lord. That's important. They love his word. They want to hear his word. I understand that. And beloved, we need to pay attention to that go to church and we give simply because we love God and we want to make him know that. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. All right, so our assigned reading today was Proverbs 21 to 24, but I'm jumping a little bit ahead because tomorrow's reading starts with Proverbs chapter 25, which lets us know that 25 and on are Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So Hezekiah put together a team of men to get even more 
Proverbs of Solomon and pop them onto the book that they already had going. I want to take a look at Hezekiah's time period because it's really interesting. So over the next couple of days, that's what we're going to be doing. First, let's take a look at a really big technological achievement that Hezekiah managed to pull off. King Hezekiah of Judah is famous for his faithfulness. After the reign of his evil father, Hezekiah launched a mission to rededicate the nation of Judah to God. He cleansed and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem and went about the country tearing down high places. Hezekiah also lived through his sister country of northern Israel being taken over by the Assyrian Empire, which perhaps explains his motivation to get back to God, to renew covenant relationship with him who had given his ancestors the land in the first place. The Bible tells us that in Hezekiah's 14th year as king, Sennacherib of Assyria marched on Judah, taking all of the country's fortified cities before turning to Jerusalem. This would have taken an agonizingly long amount of time, and Hezekiah used it as well as he could. Second Chronicles 32 tells us that when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Hezekiah also fortified Jerusalem's wall, built towers, and gathered resources and weapons. But his defensive move of redirecting water while cutting it off to the area surrounding the city was smart. He knew that Sennacherib's army would lay siege. They would camp around the city, effectively cutting them off from any outside supply of food or water. It would then be a waiting game. Might as well try to thirst out the competition. Today, the water tunnel of Hezekiah is known. In fact, as a tourist to the Holy Land, many visitors walk through this ancient waterway. Geographically, it weaves its way underground from the Gihon Spring, the source of the water, under the eastern slope of the city to a pool on the western side of the city. It was once thought that Hezekiah did this because the Gihon Spring was outside of Jerusalem's protective walls. It's now known that the spring was inside the lower city wall. But by diverting its waters to a location inside the upper wall, blocking the spring, camouflaging the entrance to the tunnel, Hezekiah prepared for Sennacherib to breach the lower wall. An inscription was found that tells us how it was constructed. Two teams of diggers worked, one at the starting point and one at the ending point. They dug their way towards each other and met in the middle. The most recent study on the tunnel posits there was a third team that worked from the ground above the diggers, using hammers to send sound signals down to the workers. This would explain the mystery of the tunnel's S-shape. They started going too deep into the hill where they couldn't effectively hear the soundings, forcing them back to the shallow eastern slope. These researchers were also able to carbon date some organic remains stuck in the original plaster, verifying the date to the time of Hezekiah. Lots that we can study when it comes to King Hezekiah. There's a tremendous amount of uh, remains from this time period in Judah's history because not too long, I mean, there was the Assyrian destruction of pretty much everything but Jerusalem. So there's a lot that has been preserved underneath that destruction layer. But then there wasn't that much history after Hezekiah that happened before Judah and Jerusalem were finally destroyed by Babylon. So lots more to discuss. Yeah, it really is interesting because that's the time when northern Israel dropped. And yeah. 
and southern Israel or Benjamin and uh, Judah mm -hmm. stayed together under Hezekiah. And he's the one who took the letter uh, to the temple of God and yeah. said, look what they're doing. Look what they've and said. And even still, God let everything fall except for the city of Jerusalem itself that became a vassal nation yeah. to Assyria at that point. Yeah. And Hezekiah's tunnel, you can still see that today. Yep. It really is something. Thank you, Corey. Right. All right. Well, today my segment is all about the casting of lots. And this is a practice that we read quite a bit about in the Bible. As a matter of fact, we read about it in Proverbs 18, 18, which says that casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. And Proverbs 16, 33, which was a part of our weekend reading, makes the important statement that the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. Now, we know that the casting of the lot was practiced not only by foreign cultures, but also by the Hebrews. But what we don't know is by what means the Hebrews cast them. So we're going to see how some of the other nations around the world did this to maybe get an idea of how it was done. The casting of lots, which was used as a means to settle disputed questions in ancient times, was a practice employed by most ancient nations, including even the God-fearing Hebrews. But unlike the other nations, to the Hebrews, casting lots wasn't a superstitious act, but rather was a means to determine the very will of God. Indeed, this principle is stated clearly in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. While the practice of casting lots is referred to numerous times in the Bible, the means and methods by which the Hebrews employed them is obscure. But some scholars do believe that the use of the Urim and Thummim was actually a form of casting lots. While the physical features of the Urim and Thummim are unknown, some scholars think that they were small round pebbles which were placed in the ephod of the high priest. One signified yes and the other no. When the priest reached blindly into the ephod and took out one stone, the question was answered, either affirmatively or negatively, by the stone which he found in his hand. There were, however, many instances recorded in the Bible where lots were cast without the use of the Urim and Thummim. But by just what mode they were cast is now unknown to us. Interestingly though, among the Latins, apparently little counters of wood or some other light material were put into a jar with so narrow a neck that only one could come out at a time. After the jar had been filled with water and the contents shaken, the lots were determined by the order in which the bits of wood, representing the several parties, came out with the water. In other cases, they were put into a wide open jar and the counters were drawn out by the hand. Sometimes again, they were cast in the manner of dice. Regarding the mode by which property is divided by lot in India, Joseph Roberts, writing in the 1800s, noted that they first draw the cardinal points on the ground. Then they write the names of the parties on separate leaves and mix them all together. A little child is then called and told to take one leaf and place it on any point of the compass he pleases. This being done, the leaf is opened, and to the person whose name is found therein will be given the field or garden which is in that direction. Roberts also noted that the Hindus settle every disputed question by lot. They decide what physician they shall have and what remedies, and even leave the selection of a wife to the same blind chance. While we don't know if any of these methods employed by these other nations were similar to those of the Hebrews, we do know that to God's chosen people it wasn't a decision left to blind chance, but rather to the very will of God Almighty. 
So while we don't really know the methods by which the Hebrews cast lots, what's important here is to notice the distinction between what the Hebrews believed about the casting of lots versus what some of the other surrounding nations believed about them. To many nations, the casting of lots was just based on blind luck, but to the Hebrews, it was a way to know God's will on the matter. We see this reflected in Proverbs 16.33, which again says the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. Now, whether this was a practice approved by God or not, the Hebrews were right in their belief that God's will always prevails. It's very interesting when you, when you remove human element from this, and that's what a lot of gambling is today, is removing the human element and just putting it to what they call luck. But uh, the casting of the lots was to remove human dictation and allow God to dictate his will on it. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I'll it tell really you. is, for sure. It, it be, yeah, because, I mean, that's true, you know, and uh, so that's very good. Thank you, Ryan. Excellent. Janice? Do you remember the old chorus that we used to sing? And maybe you still sing it in your church or in your Sunday school and it went like this, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. It's such a simple little chorus, isn't it? But such a wonderful and profound decision that each one of us can make. And as I read today, Proverbs 21, the very first verse talked about the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, I know I'm slightly taking this verse out of the context in which it's talking about. It's talking about how that God holds the decisions of leadership in his hands. God is sovereign over all. But when I look at this, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. You know, I was watching on the news the other morning, a great flood that was happening. And the devastation of that water when it, when it flooded and left the, the banks of where it normally was, it, it was just literally picking up huge RV trailers and big trucks and and the banks of the river were caving in with the rush of water and it was causing destruction and demolition of people's houses and even was causing human death. And I, and I think, you know, it, it, it's such a powerful thing. And that made me think about the woman at the well that Jesus met and, and he had this discussion with her in John chapter four. I'm not going to go into all of it, but you know, he asks her if, if she will get him a drink of water. And they have this discussion and Jesus, as he always does, begins to ask questions and he's talking to her. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she has this discussion about the well 
and about living water? And what does he even mean? And Jesus answered her again, and he says, listen to this, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. And he was talking about the well that she said, well, our father Jacob had dug this well. He said, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. That's the kind of water I want. This, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. I want, like this little song says, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. He promises this living water that comes through Jesus Christ. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. And he says, the water that I will give you, if you allow me to come into your life, if you'll turn your life around and give it to me and follow after me, this water will be like a fountain of water that springs up inside of you into everlasting life. What an amazing promise from the way, the truth, and the life. And you can come to know him today. Very important. Very important. If you want to come to know Jesus Christ now, you simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my heart. I, I, I understand that you died 2,000 years ago. We killed you. But death couldn't keep you and you rose from the dead. And I believe you paid the cost for sin. And so I, I need you into my heart so you can redeem me. You can help me. And Lord, I will be with you forever, according to John 14, 1. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. BD Family and Friends, that's the name of the channel. We have programs on there, Just the Facts. I've mentioned this past couple of days and I'm totally taken by this because these are programs we did like 35 years ago. It was really interesting. And uh, I mean, they're, they're really fun and the kids are young and it's amazing. Anyway, that's on BD Family and Friends. Bible Discoveries on BD Family and Friends. Jim Cannelon's on BD Family and Friends. And the weekend program is Corey and Matlock. They're on BD and Family and Friends. And Kay Arthur's on BD Family and Friends. So go to BD Family and Friends, watch it on the internet or watch it on a Roku channel or on Fire Stick because it's there for you. Father, I pray today, help me to become a better giver to you in all areas of my life. 
Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.